Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow on Rejuvenation for the Land of Israel Network. It is April 5th, 2022, the fourth day of Nisan, 5782. You can really feel that now Nisan needs to be here. Now, the Jewish month that starts off the spring that used to actually be the new year. Uh, you could feel it. Couldn't feel it a couple weeks ago as we spoke about. That's why we needed that 13th month at the brilliance of the sages and the, the Jewish calendar to line up the seasons. A couple weeks ago, nah, now, yesterday I went out into my backyard um, where I have a, a couple of fruit trees and there's a beautiful, beautiful prayer, which you should look up, called the prayer for the trees, basically. And what it does is thank the trees for budding, thank the trees for the flowers, because it takes an extra energy from the tree, right? Everybody knows that in nature, you try and conserve energy as much as possible. Um, And in order to put out fruit, I mean, they need a whole lot of energy to put out fruit. Ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And anyhow, but they put out flowers and they put out beautiful buds. And that is for us to enjoy. So it's a beautiful, because it doesn't do anything for the tree. It's such a beautiful prayer of gratitude to nature and to the trees for using some of their reserves in order just to make the world more beautiful and for us to enjoy. It is one of my favorite prayers because it is it is one of the things that I really, really love about Torah Judaism is like, you know, despite all the the other stuff, it's like sometimes just hones in on an element of gratitude and of not taking things for granted, not a sense of entitlement, which, as you all know, is one of my major, major pet peeves. Um, and, that you know, like with the prayers for the food, I'm a very simple person, far from being a Torah scholar or anything like that. But there are just some, some of the most brilliant things that just like realign your head. Okay, guys, this is what's important. And don't take anything for granted. Every second that we breathe, every day that the sun comes up is something to be thanked and something to be joyful for. And this season, we're like right now, all like everywhere that you see around, you see new beginnings, at least here, depending on where you're living. Um, it's the trees, it's the birds that now wake me up early in the morning with their chirping and the nests that I'm seeing being built. Um, and you feel it also in, I guess, the vibe of the people living here because we've got Passover coming up. So there's all kinds of, you know, preparations for that. There's shopping and the car washes are going at full steam, which reminds me, my one of my daughters brought her dog into my car a few months ago and I still hairs all over the back seat. But anyway, um, there's just this sense of like getting ready. And because this year Ramadan coincided with Nisan, um, you feel it, of course, from the Muslims living here as well. You know, they're, they're fasting all day which is unfortunate that it's hot for them. They fast all day and then they eat at night. And despite the news and what's coming out and the tensions, and there are there, and you guys know I'm far from being a Pollyanna, more about that in a second. Um, there's also this sense of like camaraderie. You know, they're, they're doing something that's not easy for them as a matter of their faith. Um, and, you know, I feel bad for them. Somebody delivered something to my house. Uh, an Arab driver delivered something to my house yesterday. And, you know, I offered him some water because it was really hot outside. And they don't all fast. And he said, no, thank you. I'm fasting. And I respect that. 
I really do as somebody who also tries not very, not doesn't always work so well, but tries to, you know, keep the tenets of my faith. So there's that like mutual respect and camaraderie and getting ready for holidays and, you know, understanding the family aspect of, of being with the people that you love and, and celebrating something that's been celebrated for a long time, the traditions. And then there's this underlying tension because unfortunately, um, we don't know who we can trust anymore. And the person that we've been working with for a long time or know for a long time is not necessarily who they say they are, or they have resentments that we didn't know about, or just that the punishment isn't great enough for them to not do anything, or they're more afraid of their own society, and you just don't know. So there is, and that's, that really, really bothers me, that kind of uncertainty, because, you know, we all want to live with people that we trust. You may not like them, but you know where they're coming from. And that's okay, too. Got plenty of people like that in my life. I know where they stand. I can choose to be with them or not to be with them. Um, You know, as many of you know, I've spent the last couple of years cutting toxicity out of my life in as many ways as I can. Um, But when you don't know, so that's, that's, that's tough. That's really tough. But I, a long time ago, I mean, I try and look on the positive side. And as they say in Hebrew, Dan like, you know, to be wary, but assume that it's all going to be good until it's not. I hate the fact that that's had to change. Um, but I also think that people need to chill a little bit. I read some Facebook post that somebody said, okay, for those of you who aren't here in the first intifada, this is how it's going. Don't sit in the first row of the bus, have pepper spray in your hand the entire ride. And, uh, but don't be scared everything's going to be fine. And I was reading that going, well, that's not particularly helpful. And also, let's like put things into proportion. Yes, they're not far from where I live. Somebody, an Arab did get on a bus last week with a screwdriver and stab somebody in the back. Yes, that did happen. Thank God the person will be fine. He's already out of the hospital and the terrorist was killed by somebody else on the bus. Okay, because it's the armed civilians here that are the first defense for this stuff that's going on and, and how hugely important that is. Um, but, you know, but on the other hand, like there, we all need to take some kind of collective responsibility for the atmosphere atmosphere here um, as well. And and the mental atmosphere and the emotional atmosphere is also important. Uh, I remember very, very well um, those years where, you know, every single day, you, you, like you were scared to turn on the news, you heard an ambulance and your heart just sank to your feet. Um, more funerals than I ever imagined going to in my entire life I went to just within a few month period. And those were horrible years. And thank God people have worked very, very, very hard to make sure that those years we're in the past and we pray that they are not going to return and that our security forces and our politicians and everybody who's got a hand in this for whatever reason, you know, does what they have to do. Okay. But there is also a collective responsibility to not fall into that fear zone. I worked very hard on it then. Um, and, uh, I think for the most part, my kids and they have their, they have their terrible memories from that time of funerals of friends that they went to and things like that. But, you know, not to, not to feel that, um, you know, that everything, you couldn't step out of the house. And that, to some degree, in itself was a success. And, but those things have to, you have to keep working on them because it is easy to let the fear start taking over. And as somebody who also 
um, makes my living or loves what the passion of my life, of course, is taking people around Israel. I don't want to be in that position to say, you know, when someone says, is it scary to go there? Is it safe to go there? My answer for that is it's, I can't guarantee anything. I can't guarantee that you're not going to choke on the piece of chicken that you're eating on the plane on the way to Israel. And anybody who does give that kind of guarantee is just foolish. Um, but, you know, for the, but we're going to go, we're going to go. And as long as the, it's an area that's open, that there's there's Israelis there. There's Israeli soldiers there. I'm obviously not taking somebody into, you know, into Ramallah, which I wouldn't do anyway. Um, then we're going to go and we're going to wear our seat belts because there's still more of a chance of getting to a car accident than anything else. And so it's that balance, you know, all the time. It's the balance. It's the balance. Um, and so here, what we have right now is what's called in Hebrew, Sheked Medumeh. It's like quiet, but it's like kind of a false quiet. You know, it's like there's in, there's maybe I I could just, if I had to put one word on it, maybe it would be like anticipation. That's what I'm feeling in the air. There's anticipation for exciting and for good things, for the holidays that are coming up, for seeing people that we haven't seen in a long time, for um, the reawakening now of tourism, and I'm getting bookings, and I'm so excited, and I'm going to go, be going to the States at the end of April, beginning of May, um, speaking in Miami in a synagogue, and then in Englewood, um, planning on the same kind of thing in August in a couple of different places. So there's that sense of anticipation, like, okay, after a couple of years, pretty much, you know, nothing going on with COVID and it, like now, which by the way, I had last week and thank God, really super mild case. And let's, I feel like, okay, I got it over with. It's just like having a bad cold. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. But anyway, so, um, there's the sense of anticipation for the good things. And like I said, springtime reawakenings and all that segueing very nicely with, you know, hopefully the receding of the pandemic and things opening up here and now tourists are coming back and all that. Um, but on the other hand, the, the dark side of that anticipation is like knowing that something's going to be going on here, possibly regional, but possibly local also. And like I said before, that, that now uncertainty about the fifth column or, you know, the enemy within, which is, has, it's shown, it's reared its ugly face now more than a few times when Israeli Arabs are, have shown to be terrorists. Not a shock, but okay, still, you know, and the the guns that they were allowed to keep over the last decade um, has, you know, they have a lot in their sector and they're not just being used against each other, which was be terrible enough, but, you know, now being aimed at, um, at you know, at Israelis. So, there's all that. There's just this kind of a, a sense of waiting, of doing things, but also waiting. And um, it's just, uh, it's very, very interesting. Um, it's very intense. Uh, in the meantime, you know, doing, doing my stuff, uh, going down to Masada next week, taking somebody who's about to have a baby to Shiloh tomorrow because there's special prayers that you say there where Hannah prayed for a child. That's just uh, for a friend. Like that's something I could do for a friend. And I'm so excited to be able to do that um, and, you know, help her like, you know, get to a place where, you know, she, she, she understands and, and she connects a little more um, because it's always a, an exciting and incredibly frightening event, childbirth. So um, there's just a lot of that going on, but it's nice to be busy again. It really, really, really is nice to be, to be busy again and something that I very much appreciate and to be healthy, not taking that for granted either. I was a little worried about COVID and now it's like, doesn't mean I can't get it again, I suppose, but, but it went as easily as I could imagine it going. Um, 
What's also interesting is that for the first time in a while, I've been asked to do some of the political talks. I used I started off years ago. That was really what I was doing. I was like the set, you know, one of the settler spokespeople when people came to where I live or somewhere else and they wanted to know the opinions of someone on the right. There was a panel in Boston um, when it was 50 years for 1967, so let's see, 2017 that I went to, uh, I was a panel with Daniel, Daniel Gordas and a, a few other people. I was on the right side of the panel in terms of defending the Jewish right to live in Judea and Samaria. And now, and then it kind of, that kind of went more on the back burner and it became more just the fun stuff, the guiding and the positive and all that and the speaking and more of the inspirational things. And now, interestingly enough, I've been called back to do some of the defending Israel things. I can't say that I love it. It's something that needs to be done. Um, I also had a very interesting talk yesterday with one of my very good friends who's a top tour guide because um, I actually chastised her and I felt bad because she's like knows everything because she called the she called the priest's 67 lines a border. And I said, you have to be careful. It's not a border. It's an armistice line. It's a ceasefire line. She said, well, you don't have to be that exact. And I said, actually, you do have to be that exact. Words matter. OK, um, you know, having a war over on a border is very different then on a ceasefire line that nobody accepted anyhow, and Jordan had occupied the area. And so when we're attacked in 67 and take it over, it's, we didn't take over another country. We took over an area that anyhow had been illegally occupied, and it wasn't clear to whom it belonged. And we had more of a right probably legally than anybody else. So it does matter. And um, I think it matters a lot. Those words matter. I was on a miserable panel about a week and a half ago for college in America, Zoom thing, three Palestinians, three Israelis, although one of the Israelis, oh my God, like just horrible, horrible, horrible uh, anti-Israel. But And one of the Palestinians, who of course lives in America, is actually running for Congress. So this is going to be the kind of representation that you get there. And uh, stuff she was saying, you know, of course they have to shoot. They're subjugated in the occupation. You know that old, that old argument that's still that's right out there that they're occupied and they're they're just sh- subjugated and they were just sitting here quietly minding their own business in the 1940s when whatever Jews had remained from Hitler came over and did exactly to them what had been done to us in Europe, and of course just completely ignoring history and the Mufti and the Jews being killed in 1929 and all those other things and and then not um, accepting the partition plan of the UN and over and over and over and over, but they're still in that victim thing. And part of the reason that they can do this is actually Israel's fault, because by signing these horrific agreements like Oslo, etc., we acted guilty. We did it because we just felt like, all right, if they just knock off the terrorism, we'll give them something and then everything will be fine. But by doing that, we ended up acting like they deserved it because we had done something wrong to them. Um, and that was a very, very, very big mistake um, and that we're paying for in a huge way right now. So one of the most egregious things that she said is that the poor Arabs in Gaza, they don't even have a sewage system. Their sewage just pours into the ocean, into the sea every single day. To which I answered that the reason they don't have a sewage system is when Israel left in 2005, we left them with the whole sewage system intact that Israel had built um, when we you know, took out the 10,000 Jews that were living there and destroyed all the communities. And they dug up the sewage system, took the pipes, uh, packed them with explosive material and shot them 
as uh, missiles, rockets, whichever one now is to talk about terminology. So there's one of those that you can aim and there's one that you can't. I think rockets you can't. So rockets is probably the more correct term um, to, to, you know, shoot over um, into Israel and just willy nilly kill Israelis. So, you know, I said, that's why they don't have a sewage system because they destroy the sewage system in their need to kill Israelis. So for, at least for that moment, she was quiet. But, you know, it's like that story of the person who kills his parents and then throws himself on the mercy of the court because he's an orphan. And you see that over and over and over and over again. Um, Decisions that they make, whatever it is that they're doing, and then it doesn't work because lo and behold, we're going to defend ourselves and we don't want to commit suicide, nor do we want our country replaced with the Palestine. And uh, even the left is what most of the people on the left would say that. Not all, unfortunately. Um, And so we're at at some point, it's not going to happen anymore. Um, I would have loved to get in there for the students, not for her. She's beyond help. Um, But for the students to hear that every time they get on a plane, it's thanks to Palestinian terrorism and, and, you know, kidnapping people and and hijacking airplanes. And that, oh, yes, they have totally changed the world. So um, anyhow, so that I couldn't sleep the whole night. It was a a panel that I did late at night. And and I also had COVID that night. It was like not good. But I did it anyway because I felt like someone had to have that corner of the panel. I didn't sleep the whole night. I was so upset um, because this is like dragging me back. It's not like I don't know that this is what's happening and that these are the arguments, but I had kind of moved over into the more the light side of things like just, you know, showing the positive things about Israel and the archaeology and the studying and all this crazy stuff that I did last year that you've all been hearing about and the courses that I took. And I kind of moved away from that face to face with evil. And there's no other way of putting it with people who are are just spouting lies, protecting terrorists, defending terrorists, defending murderers of women and children. I mean, it's like, and then calling themselves human rights advocates. It's like a amazing. I mean, really, you just have to wonder, like, what is going on? How did, but I guess the prophets would tell us that, going back to the wisdom of the Torah, about how uh, things were going to be flipped, and, you know, lies are going to be truth, and truth is going to be lies, and you look around, and you're like, yeah, well, I guess nothing's really changed on that score. So I'm doing a panel uh, in front of some students next week as well, and uh, I seem to be getting a little bit dragged back dead. So if you need me, wherever you live, um, I guess you could be in touch and we'll see if I've got the, uh, I've got that the strength to keep doing this, but, uh, but it's important. It's really, really, really important. And this last generation of people who do love Israel and understand the truth have unfortunately not been educated enough to be able to make those arguments and take that stand. And, um, and we all have to be warriors on some level now, um, in defending the good people of the world, whether it's at, uh, you know, Damascus gate where we have our Magav, you know, like our border policemen who are just outrageously brave um, and not letting the people who represent the religion of peace after their peaceful prayers uh, go riot and try and kill people. Um, and uh, But we all have to in some ways also, you know, like take up arms in some way. Um, you can't just sit on the fence. I say this all the time and I'm going to keep saying it. If you're not doing anything then to to defend the world, the good world, then you are letting the, the bad guys get away with what it is that they're doing. We all have to take that responsibility. There's just no middle ground right now. Um, there, there just isn't.
and uh, maybe there never was, but definitely not right now. There's like a huge battle for the future of the world happening. And, uh, you know, so amongst all the trees blossoming and nature just doing what nature does, despite the chaos that humanity, pl- you know, plunks down on this planet, in a way it's very... Um, it's very soothing, you know, like I look out on my cherry tree and I see the beautiful blossoms and I know that, well, I guess barring nuclear holocaust where all the trees would probably die, but let's not go that far in that black. But, you know, no matter what's happening in Ukraine or here or there, or wherever, you know, tomorrow the, the, the flowers will get a little bigger and then probably next week the flowers will come off and I'll see the leaves and I'll see the little beginnings of the cherries. So there's something very comforting about that kind of flow um, and about the there. It's like nature knows what ne- it needs to do and it just does it uh, as much as it possibly can. It doesn't, I guess, because it doesn't think. It just is programmed or whatever it is um, by, you know, the, the ultimate programmer to fulfill its mission in the world. So a cherry tree is going to give cherries. The confusion comes for us where we're not really sure what that mission is and how we're supposed to go about doing it. And that's the challenge. It's uh, the amazing challenge of being people and of, you know, whatever it is that we were put on this earth to do. But it's also, um, you know, it's also a little scary. And again, in between those balance of, you know, the wow and the awe, and the fear of, you know, getting out of our comfort zones. Um, that's where we all are. And here in the land, um, you feel it. You feel it really intensely. And especially, I would say, this time of year. So um, that's it for today. Got a lot of stuff to do today. Um, so I just wanted to check in with you guys and give, you know, just to give you a little glimpse, uh, for those of you who are not here, of... Um, of some of the the feelings because you know you read the news and it's kind of the dry stuff this is going on this is going on but I just wanted to give you a little glimpse into the the attitude here trying to stay positive good things but also you know being ready and being wary and um, you know hoping that our leadership uh, is on the ball and of course knows way way more than any of us know and that any of us probably want to know honestly i cannot imagine a more difficult job than being you know like the prime minister or the you know like one of the head honchos here in in israel i i really really can't for all the criticisms but all the praise and all of that i mean what he knows and and how i don't know how they sleep i honestly don't know how they sleep really um so just giving you know um Hashem's blessings to them for wisdom. That's another prayer that our leadership should have wisdom to know what to do. And uh, in the meantime, I hope all of you are well wherever you are, preparing for your holidays, whatever they might be, um, and enjoying a spring wherever that is. Obviously, if you're in Australia, then it's a little bit different. But if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you're more or less on my rhythm. And, uh, And that's it for now. I will hopefully be back next week pre-Passover. And in the meantime, take care, everybody. Thanks to Ben and thanks to Tabitha. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Take care, everyone. Goodbye for now. Join the Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer for an exclusive interview with former United States Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. Hear what Ambassador Friedman thinks about terrorism, Donald Trump, and the Abraham Accords. I don't think I've ever told this story before. The end of 2011, I went to see a rabbi 
He was visiting from Jerusalem. He had a reputation of being a Makubo. The question I wanted to ask him was, I'm living here now on Long Island. Life is good here. Business is good. But I really think that I belong in Israel. What do you think? And he said, go in five years. And I said to him, yeah, but in five years, you know, I'll be 58. Should I really give up the five years? He says, stay in America, keep doing your work, and I guarantee you in five years, you'll have a lot of things to do in Israel. That's The Jewish Story on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.